What's up, everyone? Iceman here. New Era Cap is the official headwear provider of the MLB, NFL, and the NBA, and a global brand of sport, culture, and self-expression for over 100 years. Whether it's to match your fit of the day or root on your favorite sports team, New Era Cap will always have you covered. As a born and raised New Englander and former marathon runner, the Boston Marathon holds a special place in my heart. The Red Sox New Era City Connect series designed in the Boston Marathon's colors are a great reminder to me of my heritage, my past, present, and future on full display. I wear this hat often, both on and off camera. If you want to support your favorite team, wear what the players wear, or accentuate your favorite pair of sneakers, New Era has you covered. Shop the official headwear by visiting neweracap.com slash Iceman and use code Iceman at checkout and get 15% off. That's right, 15% off. Get after it and save now. Is being a Jets fan the worst fan existence in all of professional sports? We're getting into that and a lot more this week on Iceman and Coach. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Iceman and Coach. It has been a couple of weeks. Actually, it's been three weeks, but the coach and I have been busy every single Friday night doing College Kickoff Eve. I just want to remind everybody, if you have an opinion, you want to call or text the show, 703-718-6314 is the number to do that. As always, this is the Iceman, Matt Freights, and that is the coach, Brad Powell. Brad, welcome to the show, buddy. Good to see you. Iceman, how you doing, my friend? Uh, it's we got football fully back, right? NFL's back going. We've had college for a couple of weeks. This is our first episode with a full slate of uh, both college and pro football. I'm really excited about that. We're creeping up on fall, which is one of my favorite times of year. I, I just like the changing of the seasons in general. It doesn't matter from which season to which. I kind of enjoy all of it. Uh, and then by the end of that season, I'm over it and ready to move on. So we're on the cusp of fall, which I appreciate. And again, football's here, man. I'm really pumped. Yeah, me too. And it was a good weekend of football to sort of take the last few weeks off with week zero, week one. As I mentioned earlier, we did college kickoff Eve, which we've been having a great time doing live every single Friday at 9 a or 9 a.m. Good Lord, 9 p.m. every single Friday. And we've been having a good time talking college ball. But now that the NFL is in full swing, we have a lot to get to in this episode. I'm not really sure we're going to be able to do it. But it's funny because fall kind of is a season of change, right? And heading into football season, I think every single program, every single professional team thinks about hope. They think about the season on the horizon, right? Because everybody starts 0-0, and that's kind of the way that it is. But before we get into all of that, because we're going to get into fans and we're going to get into some of the stuff that happened last night as we're recording this on a Tuesday, but I think it's only proper for us anyway to get into this Mel Tucker situation at Michigan State. And I just want to state at the top of this that we're not going to make any opinions or any types of judgments because obviously the information that's out there is all that we have. And there's a lot of public information, but nowhere near the full story. We have no clue what actually took place in a lot of these things. All we can do is talk through this, the discomfort of the allegations, the discomfort of everything that is happening, and give some opinions based off of that while trying not to either victim shame or just assume that somebody is trying to get a payday or assume that somebody is a creep. 
That's what makes these things so difficult. So I know that you have an opinion on this because you've done some reading on it and I wanted to give you the floor to sort of talk about it and then we can have a healthy debate if necessary. Sure. And it is it is kind of uh, unfortunate that today in these times that you can't you can't really have an opinion or a strong opinion about these types of things without sort of putting yourself out there to be, I don't know what you would really call it, canceled or just heavily criticized, which is fine. The moment you want to give your public opinion, you are opening yourself to criticism, which is fair. But just the manner in which people go about it these days is absurd. I mean, there's just no room for a debate. It's either you're right or you're wrong. There's no in between. And I just don't think that that's how life works. There's just a lot of gray. And, you know, sometimes when you get into the gray, it, it's not so clear. In this case, I do, I do feel like there's there's quite a bit of gray specifically. You know, for those of you who maybe aren't fully aware of the situation, uh, Mel Tucker, the head football coach at Michigan State, had brought in a woman who was involved with the program talking about sexual assault, sexual harassment, uh, things of that sort with the program and on the Michigan State uh, campus over the last several years. At some point in time, I believe this it was a couple years ago, I want to say it was like almost two years ago at this point. It was 2021. And I also want to add, I think it's very important context that this woman not only is like an advocate for all these things, but she was a victim of it with yes. football players specifically. And I think she's one of like the preeminent people in terms of talking about these things, because I think she's very nationally known. So this is not just some random victim who is nameless, faceless, as we usually have it, like in the Deshaun Watson case. So I just want to add that as context in case you... I didn't get to it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I mean, and it sounds like, you know, they were doing good things at Michigan State specifically. Uh, you know, Mel Tucker had welcomed her into the program by as far as everything I can tell. At some point in time in, in 2021, there was a phone conversation. And during that phone conversation, Mel Tucker was masturbating. She filed a Title IX claim with Michigan State University here fairly recently and is claiming sexual assault. Uh, excuse me, sexual harassment. There, there's so much to unpack in this situation because on the surface, right there, when you just hear it, you're like, what a poor decision, uh, first of all. And it is it is very creepy sounding when you when you hear it. But the, the more you dig deeper into it, they had a longstanding relationship of some kind. Now, when I say relationship, I don't mean necessarily sexual in nature, but a, a professional relationship that seemed to maybe evolve into more of a friendship of some sort over time, they would, I mean, there's, you know, there's records out there now that um, like the night of the incident that that phone call lasted 36 minutes. Mel Tucker was in the state of Florida. It was after midnight where he was. Uh, she was on the West Coast. It was nine o'clock approximately where she was, you know, a late night conversation, 36 minutes in length. And the, the question that I have, again, I'm just asking sort of objective questions I because, I, again, there's a lot we don't know. I don't know about you, but if I were put in that position, I would like to believe that if there was something I was very uncomfortable with that was occurring on a phone conversation that I would hang up. Maybe it didn't happen until the 35th minute of that 36 minute conversation. I, that's not information that I have. And I do think that's relevant. But there are also, I want to say there's record of 27 phone conversations between the two of them that lasted over 30 minutes. So this them having lengthy phone calls is a pretty was a pretty regular thing. And I don't know about you, but I don't have a lot of lengthy phone conversations with people. Uh, most people these days communicate via text more often than not. Not saying that you couldn't have completely professional conversations that 
are, are of that length of time. But to me, I feel like you at least have to ask the question of was there some sort of relationship that was at least flirtatious in nature that was occurring between the two of them. Now, even if so, if Mel Tucker obviously, uh, he admittedly says that he did it. He's not denying um, the allegations. He's just denying the nature in which they are being presented. Uh, again, from what I understand, too, after the incident occurred, she had told some people about it. And so word kind of started to spread that he did this on the phone. He heard about it. He confronted her, said, you know, hey, I don't appreciate you telling people these things. And then it sounded like he sort of pulled pulled whatever levers necessary to cancel her next appearance um, on the campus of Michigan State and sort of put an end to that relationship as existed. And then I believe his side of it is that once he put an end to things, that's when she decided to take action um, and make these allegations. So there's there's a lot of ways to look at it. At the very least, I think that one thing everyone could agree with is Mel Tucker is, is a lousy husband, right? Um, for for partaking in even just that one single act on the phone with another woman while, while married and a father and everything else. Uh, but I think that it's unfortunate that, you know, I, I don't know how you have your cake and eat it too in this situation. You want to take every allegation that's made towards these types of things very seriously. At the same time, you don't want to allow for people to make false or inaccurate allegations about these types of things about someone because this is very serious. And even just the allegations alone, whether true or false, can stick with somebody forever, especially if you're a public figure like Mel Tucker is. I mean, this could seemingly, like, whether it's true or not, even if he is exonerated of any wrongdoing from a criminal perspective, there's a lot of universities that will never touch him. He may never work for, uh, he may never coach football again. It's very possible just based on the allegations alone. So I know I've kind of bouncing around and rambling a little bit, but just, I feel like they're making, the mainstream media is making it to be very black and white. And I think that when you start digging into it, there's a lot of gray in the situation. I think what makes these situations so tough is this is not an accusation of something that is so incredibly provable, like murder or theft or something like that. And I think that what has happened here is we as a society have gone to the place of just making sure that we believe every single person that has any type of accusation against another person, right, without thinking about what are some of these gray areas that you talk about. And I think that the gray areas are always worth exploring because somebody's reputation is on the line. And whether that's my reputation, your reputation, or what have you, I think that you always should do the most due diligence that you can in all of these situations. And I think that for all of the cases that we've seen where the people are obviously a creep, and let's take the guy from that 70s show who just got convicted of rape, right, for 30 years to life in prison. And then you have the Matariza situation from last year. That guy lost his job hasn't been employed since, and all the investigations took place and couldn't find that he was actually part of any wrongdoing, that anything like that took place. I think what makes this situation in particular complicated is the fact that it's a, a college football program. We all assume that they're going to protect the money. We all assume that they're going to protect the coach. But also, it happens to be at the university where the Larry Nasser stuff took place. And that is the part of it, the connection point that becomes very uncomfortable because you know just how bad that was. Now, a lot of people will say that maybe we can question the full culpability of Michigan State in that, 
But it was obvious that there were a lot of people who were culpable in that Michigan State was part of the chain of people who let a lot of those things take place. And so then you have the situation with Mel Tucker. Now, I will echo what you said. Mel Tucker made what I would think is not the smartest decision he's probably ever made, because I think when you have the Larry Nasser stuff in the past of the university, and let's be clear, Mel Tucker is an employee of the university and by extension, an employee of the state. So there are some things that that don't apply to other people that do apply to him in this case. And I think that if I were him, I would not want to be anywhere close to a situation that could have this type of an implication. And the other thing is that, as you pointed out, there are a lot of very lengthy phone calls late at night at hours that most people don't talk business. But in his game, maybe that's the only time that he can talk business. And so there's just too many complicating factors for me to feel one way or the other. And the headlines have told you that he's guilty, basically, because the court of public opinion nowadays always assumes that that is the case. We obviously don't know that. We don't. And I think that most likely it's somewhere in the middle between what the accuser is saying and what Mel Tucker is saying. And we won't actually ever know because Mel Tucker will probably get fired. He's suspended right now. But there's just a lot of details of this that make it feel different to me than some of the other the other stories that we have heard. And Mel Tucker obviously is going to come out and try and make sure that everybody knows that he didn't, or he it did, he didn't do this against somebody's will. But I, like you, have a lot of questions. It just makes me very sad that these things still take place. And I feel like as a guy in this country, especially a married guy, just make better decisions. I think that that's a fair thing, like fair accountability for Mel Tucker. Is he going to be the first or he's not the first coach to cheat on his wife. He's not the last coach to do anything like this, right? We're going to hear about this forever. Infidelity, I don't care. You want to make that decision for yourself, go for it. But when you're a public figure, I think making better decisions is an okay thing to ask of people in those situations. And I've been pretty consistent about that. It doesn't have to be sexual harassment. I've asked Bob Huggins to make better decisions. I've asked a lot of people to make better decisions. And that's just where I find myself being in that it's unfortunate that all of this is happening. And whatever the outcome is, I just would like people, more specifically men in powerful positions, to just think a little bit harder before they actually act on something. That's all. Yeah. And what makes this even worse is that in e either side of this, there, there's nothing worse than making allegations about something that happened to you that's absolutely true and not being taken seriously. And there's nothing worse than being accused of something like this and it not being true. Like that's that's what's so hard is like both of them, what, they are both simultaneously in a really poor situation as a result of this because there's going to be people who blindly defend each of them with a no regard for the facts probably. And there's going to be people who blindly attack each of them with no regards for the facts. And, and that's unfortunate that people can't just wait and see how it all shakes out. But just, we live in this world of instant reaction and you, who's the first person to take a side and to, to have an opinion um, or a hot take. And it, it's tough because these people also, man, they have families. Mel Tucker has children. And, and yeah, he put himself in this position, whether consensual or not, like he, he created the environment for this sort of thing to occur. So whether what took place was consensual or not, like he's, he has made mistakes here for sure. And what's also true is that there could be, they could have had some sort of a consensual flirtatious relationship 
and him also acting appropriately in a way that made her uncomfortable. Like both of those things could be true. Like it doesn't have to be one or the other. A couple other things worth mentioning. And Brenda Tracy is her name, by the way. I feel like we should say her name. We're throwing Mel Tucker's name out there. Uh, Brenda Tracy is the woman's name um, who is the, you know, sexual assault, sexual harassment advocate nationwide, very popular, as you said. She texted him a couple months after the date of the incident and wished him a happy Father's Day. Now, she could have just been, it could just be her being courteous and a polite person. But then also, I think it raises the question of like, if, if you feel like you were harassed in some way by a person uh, and someone crossed that line with you, it just seems odd that you might extend that sort of courtesy. Uh, so I, like I said, there's so many strange things back and forth. And all I guess I'm really trying to say is I feel like we should we should leave this out of the court of public opinion and wait and see what the facts tell us about the situation. Because as you mentioned at the top, uh, with what's out there in the public right now, I'm sure we're just scratching the surface. Yeah, and we'll never get all of the facts. But the the couple other things that I want to talk about here is USA Today obviously drops this article. Now, when I think of USA Today, I think of them as the newspaper you'd get at hotels whenever you traveled. Like, I've never seen anybody just sort of walking around with USA Today. I've never associated them, the point I'm trying to make, I never associated with them with one side or the other when it comes to journalism. A lot of papers are seen as liberal, but obviously in today's news cycle, there's conservative news, liberal news, and there's very little in the middle news as it relates to a lot of these stories. I know that Michigan State was told about these things back in December. Obviously, it's September now, and we hadn't heard a peep from Michigan State. I don't know how long those types of Title IX investigations are and so forth. I do know from reading a few things that I believe a Title IX investigation is it has to do with athletes. So I'm kind of curious how this works for Mel Tucker. I know he's been very adamant about the fact that this hearing that they're having in October, I think he feels like it's a railroading, that it's not a fair trial. It's not even really a trial for him. Like there's so many different things about this and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but it's interesting to me that the USA Today could come up with all of these facts or at least what are perceived as facts and put them out in the public eye and Michigan State almost didn't even know. When they called a press conference to get out ahead of this, they didn't realize what the allegations really were, and they sort of had to backtrack. It's just strange to me that a university like Michigan State would be so unprepared for this when they were caught literally with their pants down with the Larry Nassar thing. Like, that is very, very, very strange to me. I do know in my mind, I just want to be clear, I do not believe in these, but if you were a conspiracy theorist of some kind, you could jump to the conclusion that Brenda Tracy, because being a victim of sexual harassment and being an advocate for it, that something like this, whether fabricated or not, would continue to help her as an advocate going forward. I can see people jumping to that conclusion. I just want to, again, make very clear, I'm not jumping to that conclusion, but it fits in line with what you said about people are going to blindly do one or the other as it relates to this. And I wish we as a society could get to a place where these things weren't always in the court of public opinion. There are certainly things that we should know as citizens of this country, but these types of things always make me wonder why I have to know this. Like, did I need to know that Tiger Woods cheated on his wife with all those waitresses? No, I actually didn't need to know that. However, that falls legally is between the two of them. It shouldn't be something that I know about. But when you are elevated to a level of celebrity, and Mel Tucker is like a B or C-list celebrity at best. I would even say in college football, he's probably a B or C-list celebrity. Not anymore. <laughs> you No, you, you're going to hear about it. But 
Another thing is they had a ton of kids leave after going 11 and two his first season. They went five and seven last year. So are there things maybe again within the program that we don't know? I think that there is a lot of things that we'll just never know about it. I think though, the overall message you and I are trying to spread is to do some critical thinking, do some reading, think about what is being presented to you and just know at the top of it, even if you feel very confident in the way that you feel, you like us do not have all the facts and we never will unless you're one of the two of them. There's no way that anybody like us is gonna have all the facts and that's why we're gonna sit it out in terms of making any types of judgments or condemning anybody because we just don't know. All I know, it's a sad situation overall and I think you and I can both agree. Oh, absolutely. And um, and part of one thing I think could have occurred, you know, questioning Michigan State and how they handled this, uh, the fact that they came out sort of without all the facts, like you said, and re- almost overreacted initially. Do you feel like because of the Nassar situation that this that they're going to act uh, swiftly and what's the word I'm looking for? Swiftly and intensely, maybe to show that they have, uh, you know, hey, they're taking this type of stuff seriously. And is Mel Tucker kind of going to to take the brunt of sins of the past in a way? Uh, you know what I mean? I do. I think that Michigan State is going to be, I'm going to use a big word here. I think they're going to be very punitive in how they dole out whatever consequences are for, for this. I do believe, and Mel Tucker made innuendos to this, that they don't want to be a part of the stink of the Nasser stuff. And I get that. It was a PR nightmare. It is still a PR nightmare, even though he is now dead, couldn't have happened to a nicer guy, I think is what you said to me. But all of that is bad press. Like there is such a thing as bad press. And that was like the worst situation almost that you could possibly imagine happening in a systemic way at a university. And so for this to come so close to it, if you're one of the administrators and you're thinking about what do we do here? Like just the fact that this is in our space is uncomfortable enough. And everybody's jumping to the same conclusion that we are where we're trying to, we're not even trying to connect the dots, but it's easy to say that this Nassar thing happened at Michigan State. And I think that they almost have to act punitively because as you pointed out, they need to for the court of public opinion. And whether or not we agree that that's how we should be making decisions, that is 100% how many companies Many individuals who have something to lose, that's how they make their decisions. And they're going to try to do whatever they can to be as seen as good as possible in the optics right now. And then what a lot of them do is you move on and they will hire another head coach. They'll probably hire a head coach who is like the most pristine Mr. Rogers guy that you could possibly imagine. And then whenever the time is right, when the program probably doesn't do very well, they'll hire the guy that they actually want who has no morals, has no scruples, and will win a national title, right? Like, But by then, we'll have all forgotten about this. And I think that is the hope for Michigan State. Right or wrong, I think that's what they're hoping to do and what they will do. No, you're probably right. And and this should go without saying, but I do feel like uh, it needs to be said that we are in no way, shape, or form trying to downplay the seriousness of sexual harassment, sexual assault at all. So, you know, I think it's a terrible thing. And there are way too many women who are sort of shamed in the silence uh, about these sort of things. I want women to feel like, not even just women, there are men that happens to you as well. Like they sh- they should feel comfortable coming forward with this stuff when it happens and it should be taken seriously. And at the same time though, I, I think we're also against, we're okay with people being held accountable 
Uh, we just want to make sure that all the facts are known and that we are, you know, that, that due diligence is being done to not maybe falsely accuse someone or to misconstrue facts. And so either way, I just hope that the truth prevails in the end, whichever way it is. I just hope the facts come out and it's handled appropriately. Whoever, you know, Mel Tucker is found to be guilty of what took place, that it, it, it's handled and um, he receives whatever sort of punishment or discipline that the university sees fit. And it will just be that, right? I mean, it'll just be what the university sees fit because if this were to happen between a random person, just, you know, some guy and a woman, like it would, it would be nothing. It, it, it wouldn't, uh, there would be, the police wouldn't be called. I don't know that this would even, and again, not downplaying it. I'm just saying by the letter of the law, I didn't, I didn't even know this, that this would qualify as a, as a crime necessarily. So it, it's just more so because of the role that Mel Tucker's in, especially being a state employee obviously exhibits really poor decision-making, not you know, behavior unbecoming of a university and state of Michigan employee would probably be the best way to describe it. Well, that's the other thing, too, is she was hired and paid by the university. So, like, this is a work relationship. And that's why I said not the best decision that he has ever made, because this lady was getting paid an appearance fee to show up and talk to the, the team about this stuff. And so, I, again, both of them, if this is a professional relationship that they're having that bleeds into a personal relationship, we all know that like you generally don't, what did Tony Soprano say? You don't shit where you eat. And that applies across the board for anybody, no matter where that you work. And again, I'm not condemning at all, whether it happened or, and all these different things, but like, I'm thinking Mel Tucker, like this is an employee, employee relationship at this point, because it is more complicated than that. This isn't somebody that just sort of came on pro bono to do this. That is a friend of a friend or something like that. I mean, they got like the preeminent person who is talking about these things. And so a lot of it is just, it's all, it's all sad. But I will say this, we are talking about this from both sides because that's what we always do with just about everything. But I will say that this is a safe space for anybody who watches or listens who is a victim or has been a victim of this. We would, we would love to hear your story and have your story amplified by whatever platform that we have because that's what we believe in. Like we don't believe that you should automatically assume one way or the other. And I think that we are we are the type of people who would open ourselves to hearing about those things as uncomfortable as they are. So even though we have spent a good portion of the start of this show talking about this, I think it's just important for us to make very clear that we always talk both sides of this because rarely is anything black and white. And it's sad, really, across the board. And speaking of sad, I want to move on to something else. There's really no good way to sort of segue from a topic like that because it sucks. But let's talk about Aaron Rodgers. So I want to sort of paint a picture for everybody out there, not just New York Jet fans, but for Jet fans specifically, this moment in time, last night, September 11th, it's a patriotic day, at least it has become that for this country. And it is the most hope that a franchise and a fan base has ever had. And even I found myself caught up in the moment of Aaron Rodgers running out in the field, the American flag, New York City, like all of it. And four plays into the game, all of that hope is just crushed in what has to be the most excruciating way possible. And so I asked at the beginning of the show, is being a New York Jets fan the worst fan experience in pro sports? And after last night, it's hard to argue that it's not. It might be, and it's really hard not to feel bad for Jets fans. I don't know, truthfully, that there are too many people out there that feel bad for Aaron Rodgers necessarily because he's a very polarizing 
uh, figure in the world of sports and you, you either love them or you hate them sort of. And I do think it's ridiculous. If there's anyone out there who's like genuinely happy about this, like you're, you're an awful person, but it, yeah, it's just bad luck, man. Like the look on Robert Sala's face when they showed him on TV, like, and he just was just like blank face. Like I wish in that moment we could have heard what he was saying to himself in his head, you know, like it just like, you've got to be kidding me. Here we go. Zach Wilson again. <laughs> like, I mean, it, Oh, it's just awful, man. Like, it, I don't know any other way to describe it. Extremely unfortunate. I feel bad for Jets fans. Extremely bad for them. Oh, 100%. And I I do feel bad for him because, as you pointed out, like, he tore his Achilles. That is not a good injury, especially at his age, to come back from. It's painful. There's a lot of recovery and rehab. And I don't wish that upon anybody, except maybe Deshaun Watson, but not even, right? Like, I don't even wish bodily harm on anybody in that sort of fashion. Like if Deshaun Watson slips in the shower, fine. Anybody could do that, but I'm not going to wish him to get hurt on the football field. But the New York Jets were so amped about this. And I know that I have been skeptical about whether Rodgers could come in and actually be successful with this franchise. Because you know me, I don't trust franchises that can't be trusted, that haven't proven to me that they can be trusted. And I'm very weary of franchises that haven't done any semblance of consistent winning in the last 30 years, talking about Browns, Lions, Dolphins, Jets, all of these franchises have found some way to mess it up. And I sort of felt like the other shoe was going to drop, but in no way did I think it was going to drop quite like that, where four plays into it, he's carted off. Like, are you kidding me? Like, carted off. I can't imagine what it must have been like for Robert Sala. And what I'm doing now while you talk through some of the other particulars of this is I'm going to come up with the top five things that were going through Robert Sala's head, and we're going to do that in a little bit. So one of the toughest parts about this, and, and I, I text you about an hour before kickoff, I sent you a screenshot of FanDuel had a special, plus 200 odds. They increased it from plus 100 to 200, uh, meaning, you know, you bet $20, like plus 100 would be even money, you know, for those of you who aren't aware, you bet $20, you win, you get $20. Plus 200 means you at $20, you win $40 profit. So it was Aaron Rodgers and Josh Allen combined for 500 yards, 500 yards or more passing. And I'm like, easy. This is easy money. And like, uh, is what I'm thinking. You did ask, is this too easy? And I even gave you an out. Just want to point that out. You did. You did. Because you mentioned the weather, right? And uh, that it was wet. Now, I don't know that it was raining, actively raining at game time, but and on turf. So I don't know how much the rain would have been a factor, but the, whatever. Anyhow, so this was a common you know, bet. There were a lot of different sports books that were doing things involving this game, Monday Night Football, 9-11 specials, stuff like that. DraftKings and several other sports books, they voided any prop bets or anything that had Aaron Rodgers as a part of them and gave everybody their money back. FanDuel, however, did not. And they were getting eviscerated on X for their lack of customer service, I guess, if that's the way you want to look at it. Now, I can see both sides of it. I, I think maybe some of the I mean, DraftKings, some of these other sports books were taking this as an opportunity to maybe uh, win some some more customers over by showing showing a little sympathy in the situation. But let's say it was a horse race. And right out of the gates, one of the horses breaks its leg. And you bet on that horse. The track's not going to void your bet. You know what I mean? Now, that's a little different because uh, it's, a, it's such a shorter event, maybe. And so you could make that argument where this football game, like, literally, he might as well have not even played. Like, he he did nothing. 
Um, he got sacked. He handed the ball off a couple times. He got sacked. So it's kind of interesting. I don't care. Like I, I, I bet small amounts of money. It was like five dollars or something, whatever. But there's people fired up about FanDuel's lack of uh, willingness to void the Aaron Rodgers bets, and it was just entertaining to scroll through a lot of the comments. And also on the heels of this, I want to say, I, obviously, it was well documented on this show my feelings about Zach Wilson, but I got to give the guy a little bit of credit last night. He came in and he got the job done. He's not Aaron Rodgers, but he did what he had to do to win. He competed. And I do think that spending, you know, months around Aaron Rodgers has, has maybe helped him a little bit, even if it just sort of took the pressure off of him for a while, because he didn't feel the weight of the franchise maybe on his shoulders and was able to kind of come out into that game with the, Hey man, I got nothing to lose. Like nobody's expecting anything from me. And so let's just let it fly. And he did that. And so, like I said, I, I want to give credit where credit's due. I still think he's a punk, but he played well enough for them to win, man. That was a big win for the Jets, especially with what happened. At least there was a little bit of positivity that came from it. Oh, yeah, there was a lot of positivity. And if you're a Jets fan, I think it almost hurts more that the team guts out a win and you don't have Rodgers for the rest of the year because this is a talented football team, especially defensively. And so you got to feel like, man, there's still so much potential there. It's got to hurt a little bit more, right? It's like when you get broken up with and you're like, but we left so much on the table. And I feel like the Jets did leave a lot on the table. And can Zach Wilson do it? Well, that's a question we're going to be talking to ourselves about for a long time. But before I get into my top five list, one of the things that I've heard about with this specifically, and I've heard this over the years, and I actually don't know enough to understand, or I, I know enough to be dangerous, but I've heard this from many, many players. Many of the players, former and current, were honing in on the turf aspect of it. And a lot of players every year come out and say, give us natural grass. What's interesting is that many of the stadiums in the NFL have switched over to field turf, I assume, because it's easier to maintain. And you don't get what you ended up having a couple years back where you have a rain game in the Meadowlands and the field is absolute slop and we're worried about people getting hurt. I don't know enough about this. You played and you coached. What do you think is the difference, I guess, in this turf versus natural grass? And why do you think a lot of the players are honing in on that in particular as it relates to some of these injuries? And is there legitimacy in going back to grass because it would make the game safer? So I don't know a ton about it either. I mean, now, when I was coaching, uh, when I played, I never played on the type of field turf they use now. Like when I played in high school, all the fields we played on were grass fields. And uh, when I played youth football, though, we did have a chance to play at the RCA Dome at the time in Indianapolis where the Colts played before a Colts game. And that was the old school turf, um, which was a different story. That stuff blew. There's a long list of knees that were ruined by the old school AstroTurf. But uh, the new turf is supposed to sort of function like grass. It's long and they use rubber pellets or the new thing is they use wood chips. Now you hear wood chips, you know, that sounds dangerous, but I mean like they're machined to where they're basically like pellets. Uh, there's no sharp edges. And that almost functions as dirt uh, soil uh, within the field turf. And so it's supposed to give like grass gives when you plant your foot's supposed to be able to slide on it naturally. But I don't, there's no replicating natural grass, but I, I really can't speak to the, the science, if you will, on what makes it more dangerous. I have to assume something with the give when you do plant, that it doesn't give under pressure the same way that natural grass does. And that may lead to more knees, ankles, Achilles, things of that sort. 
it's not fun to be uh, to be tackled on. I can tell you that much. The the stuff with the rubber pellets in it, especially, is hot, man, screaming hot. Like if it's a hundred degrees in the bleachers, it's one hundred twenty degrees on the turf. I mean, like I remember times in the summer because when I when I was coaching, we had a turf field, and if we were ever out there on the summer for practice in the middle of an August afternoon, I mean, you're the bottom of your feet were were like hot through your shoes from the heat coming off the turf. And now they may have systems in some of these college and pro stadiums that that helps with some of that stuff possibly. I do think that's the reason that the wood pellets came in is it's supposed to be cooler than the rubber. But in terms of injuries, man, again, I can't speak intelligently about maybe what it is, but I can only assume it's something to do with the give that exists when you plant. I guess what confuses me is the fact that whenever we have these sloppy games and they always talk about the field conditions, remember how bad the field conditions were for the Super Bowl? And that's all people talked about as to why the game wasn't as good or or why these players couldn't do whatever they were supposed to do. And so the NFL and most of the franchises put in this field turf. I always assumed that it was a better alternative because whenever you had rain, you didn't have to worry about a sloppy field. And I would assume that a sloppy field would lead to more injuries and I just always assume that, like, if it wasn't taken care of. But I guess when it comes to these types of injuries, Aaron Rodgers' foot wouldn't have necessarily planted there. It may have slid a little bit, and maybe it wouldn't have done any damage. But there's no way of knowing that. It's all conjecture. I just have noticed that a lot of players talk about give us natural grass. But also, are these the same players that are complaining about the field conditions when it's regular turf and things aren't on the up and up? So, like, where is the the middle ground here? Like, how do you figure out what it is? And I don't think that turf was the reason that Aaron Rodgers got hurt. I think it was just a random happenstance that may have still happened on grass. And I think that a torn Achilles, not a great injury, but I'm so much happier that he got that instead of what happened to Dak Prescott in 2020, where you have like your foot dangling and like in another direction. It's not great, but I don't know how much the field had to do with it. And I wish I did know more because it seems counterintuitive to what I've always assumed is that this field turf is a much safer alternative because it is the same all the time. And they've updated it from that AstroTurf that you played on, which is basically just like, you know, that basement carpet that people used to put down. Like, that's all that it really is. It's concrete with that on it, basically. Now, it was uh, it was surprisingly squishy. I remember that, which to, honestly is probably a big part of what would cause some injuries um, is the springiness of it when you went to plant and stuff like that. I think now back in like the eighties when they first came out with it, I do think it was a lot harder than it was basically rolled out on top of concrete or something like you said, and you know, technology improved it over the years or attempted to. And there is, there's a lot of technology behind the field turf stuff now. And is, is it really the cause? I don't know. There's just, there's probably just as many injuries that happen on grass. I mean, NBA players plant on a basketball floor and, and have knee injuries, ankle injuries too. So I think it's just the nature of the sport to some degree. And, you know, I think that it provides from week to week a a more consistent playing surface, which I think would be appreciated. Also, though, a reason I think a lot of franchises and stadiums, whoever owns the facility, why they they do this is it allows them to have an event there two days before the game, a concert or something and not have any damage done to the playing surface and move on with business as usual. Because how many times have we seen, I think it happened Soldier Field a, a year or two ago, Chicago was terrible. Like they had, um, there was a big concert at Soldier Field and like two days later the Bears played and they, I think they actually had to come in and replace the turf in just a few days. And it was absolutely 
awful. And I'd have to believe that playing on field turf would be better than playing on a field that was laid with fresh sod just 72 hours prior that's sliding all over the place. <laughs> but I, I, I'm not a sports, a sports scientist that would know the facts. No. So let me ask you this. Should Aaron Rodgers come back and play, or do you think that he should call it a career after an injury like this, where he is in his career, and can he actually recover from this and still be the same guy? I think that's tough. I was thinking about that today. I could see him just being like, all right, man, that's my sign. Time to walk away. But is he like Tom Brady, where he's just got that drive to compete? Now, I don't think his personality appears to be that way. He seems very cavalier about um, sort of taking it. I think he takes it seriously, but just the vibe he puts off, it's like he could take it or leave it sort of deal. You know, he flirted with hosting Jeopardy and stuff like that a couple of years ago. So I really don't know if I could say either way. If he feels like he can still play the game at a high level, he should come back and do that. You know, but what happens? Let's, what happens if Zach Wilson, like, is got it figured out and he comes out here and he has a career year and takes the Jets to the AFC championship game. What do you do then if you're the Jets and Rodgers wants to come back? I mean, I guess you could trade Wilson or whatever, but one more question, and I want to hear your opinion on this, but one more question too that I'd like you to answer is, do you think there's any chance that any of these retired, recently retired veteran quarterbacks maybe come out of retirement? You know, there's a few of them, right? There's Ben Roethlisberger, of course, Tom Brady, maybe even Philip Rivers. Uh, you know, there's there's several of them out there that could probably still help a team if uh, the price was right. So I'd like to hear your thoughts on that. I think at this point, the Jets should not go after somebody who is retired right now because I think that your best bet is to just see what you actually do have in Zach Wilson. He had a whole offseason with Aaron Rodgers there, got to learn under his wing. And from all the accounts, it seems like Aaron Rodgers really had embraced that football team and embrace the situation that he was in. He was basically a savior of Jets football. And to your point, Zach Wilson came in. Now, he made a terrible read in the second quarter and threw a terrible Zach Wilson interception, but those things are going to happen. But is there really any value to bringing in a guy who hasn't played in a while? Like, the names I saw were Carson Wentz, no. Matt Ryan, no. Jameis Winston, maybe, but you have a high-risk, high-reward situation there. And maybe that's a little bit more advantageous because there's higher highs with Jameis Winston, but also some big time lows. Like, I'm not sure 30 touchdowns, 30 picks is going to get it done with this team. I think that Zach Wilson is the option because I just believe that right now, if you're Robert Sala, outside of the things that I've already talked about and we'll list off here in a minute, you're looking at Zach Wilson and saying, all right, dude, like we brought in this guy and to try to light a fire under your ass and he's now not here. It's your club again. This is put up or shut up time. Either do it or just don't do it. And I think that Zach Wilson needs to be given the chance now. I mean, he has been given the keys to a Ferrari. This is a team ready to win now. He has another year under his belt. And the city of New York is hoping that he can deliver. This is his time. If he's going to grow up mature in front of us, I think you have to give him that opportunity because I don't think that taking one of these guys, even Tom Brady, off of the shelf, off of retirement is going to get it done because I just don't think that those guys are ready to play now. Getting them up to game speed, all that, it takes time. I just, I don't think it's the right thing to do. As for Aaron Rodgers, if I'm him, I mean, it's his decision, but I'm looking at this and thinking I'm done because this is a really tough injury to come back from. What am I going to be like on the back end of it? And do I really need this going forward? Because what happens if I recover, come back, and it happens all over again? 
And it's possible that it could because he's got to play on that same field. He's got to do the same thing. And he's less and less mobile and able to extend plays than he used to be because I did read a report that he wanted these plays with these cut blocks taken way back or scaled way back because he can't extend plays the ways that he used to. And that's the kind of play that he got hurt on. I don't know. I just think that after everything he went through at the end in Green Bay, all the drama this offseason, he finally got to where he wanted to be. It just didn't work out. Retire, become a Hall of Famer, smoke a lot of dope, whatever it is that you do in life. I don't care. I just I just think that it's time. I did see a really funny joke that he was in a darkness retreat again and they showed the blue tent and I was like, man, that's that's a little rough. Like people had some some fun with Aaron Rodgers. And I think it's just lighthearted fun. I don't think it, it's meant to be malicious, but Aaron Rodgers should retire. Zach Wilson needs to grow up. And if he can, and he can just be 25% better than he was last year, the Jets are a legitimate Super Bowl contender. Just my opinion. That'd be wild, man. That's the kind of stuff that uh, they make movies about, right? If that happens. And uh, one thing I would be fascinating is maybe they try to find one of these like journeyman backup guys that has re- recently retired or that's, you know, like a uh, like Ryan Fitzpatrick or something to come in and be the backup just to be like that veteran presence in the quarterback room to sort of help keep Zach Wilson in line. Now, I mean, I got to assume obviously Rogers probably have to have surgery and everything else. So it might be a while before he's able to be around. I'm curious if he chooses to be around, though, even after surgery, once he's maybe mobile, I don't know what the sort of uh, future looks like in a situation like that. But I think he could use someone like that, though. Uh, it's Chase Daniels. Didn't he re- recently retire? I think, you know, like there's a few guys out there that would be fit that role nicely. They had Joe Flacco, though. So I don't know who else you want to bring in. And speaking of Joe Flacco, let's get to top five things that were going through Robert Sala's head when he was memed after Rob, after Aaron Rodgers got hurt. Okay, are you ready for this? I put this together very, very quickly, yes. but we're doing this. Okay, number five, he'll be back, right? I mean, that had to have gone through his head, right, where he's staring off into the distance thinking he's he'll be back, right? I figured he's just looking like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, this, of course, would happen to me right here, right now. Yep, number four, can I sign Joe Flacco? I mean, Joe Flacco seems like the most boring human being ever. Yeah, right up there with Kirk Cousins. Number three, Woody is so sending me to Saudi Arabia. Little shot at Woody there. Okay, number two, I can't watch Zach again. And number one, I hope Nick Saban is hiring. (laughs) Exactly, man. Like, it's... uh... It's fun, though. Uh, just It's fun in the sense that they didn't lose anything. The Jets didn't lose anything from a storyline standpoint, right? Because if Zach Wilson can come out, continue to do what he did, and he made mistakes, but he did enough for them to win. Now, their defense really stepped up. It, it's It would be probably just as fascinating, if not a more fascinating story, if Zach Wilson is able to have success with this team this year. Hundred percent. He'll be. They'll be the darlings of the NFL. Yeah. It's just. I. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. Right. Jets. Lions with Zach Wilson, Jared Goff, MCDC in the Super Bowl. I'm here for it. And political football would be here for it. Dave and Cleve. It would be one of the greatest moments in Matty Ice Media Network history. And I'd be here for it. And I think I'd be rooting for the Jets if Zach Wilson can get his big boy pants on and get that team to a Super Bowl. He deserves a lot of credit. That would be the wildest Super Bowl ever, man. Like, that's one of those Super Bowls where, 
you know what? Don't even roll the balls out. I just want this to be like a fist fight, like just a, a fight, a battle royale, like to the death like that. I mean, those are two those are two tough ball clubs, right? That they're kind of built with the same sort of mentality and dare I say grit. Yeah, it would be it would be a blue collar Super Bowl. That's what I'm going to call it. Super Bowl for the working man. I do agree with you. Now, what comes along with a gritty franchise is usually a gritty fan base. And I want to move on to fan reaction. So you texted me on Saturday as the Texas Longhorns were beating the Alabama Crimson Tide in Tuscaloosa. We previewed that game on College Kickoff Eve. We picked it for crunch time. and We'll get into that in a bit. But Texas played a really good game. Alabama did not look very good. And yet on Twitter or X or whatever it's called now, Texas fans were calling for Arch Manning, despite the fact that Quinn Ewers had an amazing game. By all standards, just about every measurable standard, Quinn Ewers had a great game, and Texas won the game that they aren't known for winning lately. And you were really pissed about delusional fans and all that. So I want to give you the floor to rail on not only those people, but anybody else in any other fan base that you deem worthy of this rant. Now, I don't want to single out the Texas Longhorn fan base because they are certainly not the only ones. This exists with every team in every sport across the board. And it it just blows me away. And I don't know why I'm so surprised by it or so affected by it. It's just so absurd, some of the things that people say. Yeah, there were people just pining for Arch Manning to come into that game that that he was going to, you know, save them and lead them to victory. Listen, I'm the biggest pro Manning family person there is, you know, as much as anybody else. I hope Arch Manning is very successful. I think he's a fine football player and he will be successful. But if you think that Arch Manning was ready to be out there on that field Saturday night in Tuscaloosa against Nick Saban, you are an idiot because you know, and as a coach, as a program, you would not be putting that kid in a position to be successful in any way, shape, or form at all whatsoever. That would be setting him up for failure because, like I already said, he is not ready for that moment. I just don't know why people think that, I mean, this kid, and yes, there are freshman quarterbacks that come in and they are successful. Dante Moore is doing it at UCLA. There's a couple others out there, too. He has the privilege. It's a privilege. He has the privilege to sit this year, take everything in, learn the system, learn the college game, learn the speed of the college game, while they have a very capable, good to great quarterback in Quinn Ewers that's doing a fine job. Again, like I said, it's not just Texas, right? I'm a Notre Dame fan. I, I During the games on Saturdays, like the Notre Dame Twitter, Facebook, whatever, message boards, it's just they're ready to like, you know, if the first series, the other team gets a first down, they're ready to fire the defensive coordinator. I mean, it's just such so reactionary. It's absurd. And if you go into X during any game and just type in the name of a coach, one of the coaches, and there will be people calling for that coach to be fired for some crazy reason because of one single play call or one score that was given up. Part of that is what makes being a fan fun. I get that. But these these people that are saying this on these public forums, like they believe what they believe this stuff. They believe what they're saying. They, they believe with full conviction that what they're saying is the absolute truth. And that's what scares me the most. It's not uncommon to see that. But I guess I would ask you, having watched half of the Texas game, like what exactly were they seeing that didn't give them confidence that they would win? And by the way, I just want to mention that these same fans 
who are calling for Arch Manning are also the same ones that are insufferable after this win. All about the Longhorns are back. We're going to the college football playoff, but yet they're calling for their quarterback. You see this all the time. I think that it's okay if you're a fan and you're watching what's on the field and you have a good enough sample size to say, you know, I think a change could be made. Kind of like how Virginia Tech switched to Hendon Hooker and I thought, okay, it's time to make this change. And then they decided that they were going to let him go to Tennessee. And the fans were like, why did they do that? Why wouldn't you put him back in? To me, when you have a sample of good things, it's like, hey, let's bring this guy in. Arch Manning hasn't played a down for them. He hasn't played a down for anybody. As a matter of fact, he's just collecting really, really big, fat NIL checks right now. And he's going to get that playing time. But as you pointed out, like, why do people think, like, after two series, okay, we're not up 14 nothing. This is a failure. We need to bail on this guy. That's not football analysis. That's delusional fan behavior. And these are the people that are coming after us because they tell us that we don't know anything, which it's like, you don't know anything either. Sure. And it happens. Uh, what people seem to forget is these teams are not out there playing against air, right? They're playing against highly skilled opponents, highly skilled coaches who also can do a good job. And just because you know there was a little tough sledding early for Texas uh, offensively here and there, but they figured things out. There were some mistakes that were made, but that's going to happen because you're playing against one of the best teams in the country, at least historically. We'll see if they are that this year. Those guys are playing really, really hard. They make good plays too. Their coaches make good calls too. That's, you know, but at the end of the day, the better team will prevail. The team that makes more plays, the team that puts the coaches who put their players in better positions to be successful will ultimately prevail. And that's what happened. You know, it's a similar thing to what happened during the Notre Dame game. Notre Dame came out first couple series, three and out, three and out. And like, People are losing their minds. And it's like, it's the same thing that happened when they played Tennessee State. And it's the same thing that happened when they played Navy. And it's going to be the same thing that happens all year because whenever someone plays Notre Dame, they're like, this is our shot, right? Because, you know, they're going to come out like Notre Dame's never going to catch somebody on a bad day. They're always going to get everybody's best shot. Teams come out fired up to knock off Notre Dame. They come out of the gates screaming, man. And, and that's what's happened in every single game. But as things settle in, Notre Dame has prevailed because they, on all cases thus far, they've been the better team the better coach team, the better, you know, the more talented team, but people lose their minds. Like they think that because, you know, hey, the NC State defense just did a really good job. They have a very good coordinator that schemed really well to stop the things that Notre Dame does. But Notre Dame had a plan to account for that eventually, you know, but they have to set things up and people just don't get it. You're, you're discrediting these opponents and these coaches too much when you react this way about your own team in these situations. And that's what people don't, understand and and even to take it to the nfl i was in the car sunday morning and you know being in central illinois i get am radio out of chicago 670 the score right and they're just bears homers like crazy they were going on about uh they were talking about the spread like the bears were like a one and a half point favorite i think at, at kickoff and the one guy's like i just don't understand like i do not understand how the odds makers could look at this game and look at these two rosters and to have the Bears as only a one-point favorite. I mean, they were literally just shocked, you know, like, and then look what happened, right? It's like, what do you know that makes you believe that that's the case? And I don't know. I mean, it's, again, part of it's a new season. It's hope, whatnot. But the overreaction during games drives me bananas. But at the same time, it's like a guilty pleasure. I, like, love seeking it out. It's also delusional, right? It it's, doesn't make any sense and there is something fun to being passionate about the team that you're watching or the game that you're watching. I'm not saying that people shouldn't be, but at the same time, 
this overreaction business is usually reserved for like the first week of the season or the first series. Like I joke about my dad, how if the Patriots went three and out in a game, he'd be like, well, they're going to lose. Like that would be the first thing that he would say. And like, it almost became his shtick. That was just sort of what he was. And he joked about how he's like, I make the team go through negative reinforcement, not positive reinforcement. So like, okay, fine. Right. He knows who he is and, and all that kind of stuff. But my dad is also not, was not calling for Brady to be benched after one series or one game even. Things happen and good teams lose all the time and good teams win all the time. Texas ended up winning the game. It's four quarters. It's an entire season. You got to let these things play out. And it's just crazy to me to think that these people think that they know so much. Like those guys on Bears radio. This is a good example of what I was talking about with you about credential to say what or credential to know. You don't know anything. These people are getting paid to go out there and say stuff like, I can't believe the Bears are only a one and a half point favorite only to lose by 20 points at home. So like they don't know anything either. They're just as delusional as the rest of us. But can we be a little bit more reserved in our delusion? Can we keep it off of social media and maybe know a damn thing or two before you say something? Just saying. We've all been there. We've all spoken about things and spoken in a very passionate and empowered way when we haven't known everything, right? It happens. Like I've done it many times. And I really, I mean, I make a strong effort to not do that because it is annoying when someone really takes a strong stance about something and they're so off base. Root for your team. Be passionate about your team. But be realistic about your team at the same time. Understand the big picture a little bit. And I get Texas being excited about that game. It was a great win for them. But at the end of the day, that game wasn't going to make or break either one of those teams' seasons. Because if you know if Alabama goes 11-1 and one and wins the SEC, guess what? They're still going to be in the college football playoff. And if Texas were to lose and they win 11-1 and one and win the Big 12, most likely still be in the college football playoffs. So it, all it does now is just make Alabama's got to be perfect from here on out, right? That, it puts them in that situation. I mean, I don't know, man. Like some people just have to, some people just need to be mad about something or fired up about something, I guess. And I, I, I get that like that, that's maybe the fun part about it. It's a distraction from the day-to-day BS that you deal with and getting cranked up about Arch Manning not coming out there and on the white horse and leading the Longhorns to victory. Um, it's got you all upset. But you know that if Arch Manning was out there, that they would call for Quinn Ewers to come back in when Arch Manning looked like crap. So you cannot appease these people in any way. No, not at all. Not one bit. No, and it's just crazy. But week one in the NFL is about overreactions. And I wanted to bring up some of the teams before we get into the end and get into crunch time. I want to bring up some of the teams and think about overreactions because week one, in my mind, was a lot of sloppy play. Not many teams looked overtly great. A lot of teams, though, looked overtly bad. And let's take the Bengals, for instance. Went to the AFC Championship game last year, just signed Joe Burrow to a big-time contract, had probably one of the worst performances in week one across the board. Laid a complete egg, benched Joe Burrow late in the game because they knew they didn't have a chance. And everybody is jumping on the Bengals for how much they paid him, how much of a bum this guy is. The Bengals started 0-2 last year and made the AFC Championship game. It's a long season. The New York Giants, on the other hand, lose 40 to nothing to the Dallas Cowboys at home in prime time. Daniel Jones somehow doesn't get injured because he's left in, I think, the entire game to just get beat up on. The Giants actually may be that bad. 
You know what I mean? Like these are the two sides of the overreaction. One may be an overreaction in the Bengals. The other one, maybe not. The Giants actually may be this bad. Yeah, so let's start with the Bengals. Um, obviously, the weather, I think, sort of almost took Joe Burrow out of the game, uh, right? Now, yes, if you're a pro, you should still be able to throw the ball and do the things you need to do in that kind of weather. But I do think that one thing that favored Cleveland is I love Nick Chubb. Like Nick Chubb's one of my favorite backs in the league. Uh, he's just very, very workmanlike and very talented. Uh, I like the way he runs the ball. And they've got a good offensive line. So as much as I want to crap on Deshaun Watson, I mean, they've got some good pieces and it just be, kind of became a sloppy game of let's grind it out. And I just don't think that, you know, the Bengals are a little more designed to be kind of high flying, right? And the weather sort of took that out of the equation and made that difficult. Uh, it's one of those games, I think you got to put an asterisk, asterisk by it a little bit because you didn't get, you know, it counts, but, you know, I don't think you could sit there and make any broad judgments about the Bengals as a result of that game. And I don't think you could sit there and anoint the Browns because of that game either. Uh, it was one game in a long season with poor weather conditions that negated some different factors on both sides. And the outcome is what it was. Um, as far as the Giants, yeah, that was just a, a bloodbath, man. Like the Cowboys came out fired up. You know, I watched there was an interview with Dak Prescott like, right before the game started. He just seemed very, he was very focused and intense about what they were there to do. And, and he didn't even, I mean, he didn't, I had on my fantasy team. I mean, he didn't even put up like crazy numbers or anything, but I mean, they, they could have done whatever they wanted, but the way that game was going, it wouldn't have mattered. And again, that was a monsoon. And the fact that, that Daniel Jones was in there, they did finally sub out. They put in Tyrod Taylor, I believe it was the uh, very last like series of the game to hand it off a couple of times. But yeah, up until that, like I have no clue why he was left out there, what he was doing. I think that Chris Collinsworth made mention that he was trying to win the locker room or whatever. And I told you offline, I'm like, if they hate him that much, that this is what he has to do to like prove his worth or earn their respect, like this is absurd. Or from an organizational standpoint, if they're like, hey, man, we're, what did we just pay you $50 million or whatever? Like you're going to go out there and earn every penny of it um, the hard way. But that's also not protecting your investment either, which is foolish. I, I don't know if there was ever an explanation that came out of Brian Dable about it. I, I haven't dug into it at all, but I'd be... Curious. See, I don't think the Giants are that bad. Um, I, I feel pretty optimistic. I think you'll see them bounce back uh, when they go to Arizona this week. But if they don't, then yeah, let's sound the alarms. Yeah, but like it's one week. So you really can't make a judgment. But the Steelers looked really bad. But I think we also confirmed that the 49ers are pretty darn good. And Brock Purdy yeah. actually looked really good. So certain things you can take from week one or a one game sample. Like let's go back to the Texas Alabama game. I think we can take from that that maybe. Nick Saban's team isn't as good as we're used to seeing in the past decade or so. But you can't 100% firmly say that. We just know that his team hasn't played quite that sloppy in a very, very long time. So you're taking a very large sample size in, in everything that's happening. But then as you and I talked about, I was like, look at the quarterbacks he's had over the last decade. And so this is a significant drop off considering what he has had, where you have Jalen Hurts, Tua, Mac Jones, who's probably the worst of those guys, at least at least it seems that way, and Bryce Young. Three of those guys won a national title. One of them could have won a national title, and there's a, there's a large shoes to fill. So you really even can't make one definitive statement based off of one game. It's going to be an entirety of the season. I mean, if we went from LSU after week one, this team doesn't have it. For all we know, as you pointed out, they could be 10-2 and two and be right in the discussion especially with an 18 playoff on the horizon. So I, I always like week one, especially in the NFL. I will tell you that Cleve was all over it. 
he was like, Justin Fields is not going to be playing in the league in two years. And every time a quarterback would make a mistake, would be like, not going to be in the league in two years. Joe Burrow, definitely not going to be in the league in two years. Like, it's one week. I mean, yes, you can extrapolate some things, be like, I wish he did that better, or I wish this went better. But it's one game. You're not going to learn anything. And I think that we didn't learn a lot in week one of the NFL. But what we did learn is that a lot of people are still delusional as hell. I think Broncos fans should be worried. Raiders fans, you're not going to be that good. So take in that win and just hope for the best going forward. Those are the types of things I think people need to do. But they're not going to do that. And being a fan with 16 games left, go ahead. Drink all the hopium. Snort it through your veins and just believe (laughs) that if your team is 1-0, you're going undefeated. Yeah. And well, even like the Vikings fans, man, that was kind of a loss that nobody saw coming. Right. And I've always I've told you before, I've always liked Baker Mayfield, man. Again, he's just he's he's kind of arrogant, but he's tough, man. He's real tough. And he played tough. And I was happy to see him get the win, even though you know, I had Kirk Cousins on one of my I have two fantasy teams. I don't know if we talked about two, um, but because I only thought there was going to be one league. And so I got in one and then Ryan fired his up late. And so I ended up in two. But um I did have somebody that tried to get me in a league that drafted Friday night. I'm like, dude, the game, we already have a game that was played. I'm like, get out of here. Yeah, a lot of overreaction. And like you mentioned, I mean, week one in the NFL doesn't usually tell us much. Uh, I mean, it's such a long season. And do you remember, was it three or four years ago, like the the Seahawks came out and were just killing everybody for like the first eight weeks of the season. And then just like the wheels fell off. They lost like six or seven straight or something like that. It was but Russell Wilson was still there. I mean, so like crazy things happen. It's such a long season. Injuries, you know, once film gets out there, these are great, the best coaches in the world in some cases. So many cases, I should say. I mean, that's their profession, right? They're devoting almost every hour of their day to preparing for these games. I do think that, you know, the, the Steelers will be okay. You know, I think that what, what helps them is like what helps Alabama. The strong culture that exists within those organizations is always kind of going to allow them to at least be like average. And I would hate to see that go away like at Pittsburgh because I think that's sort of their that's sort of their calling card, right? That's so that's the flag they they fly proudly is that toughness and uh that that Steeler culture and I would I would hate to see that sort of go by the wayside. So I hope it doesn't. And I think the AFC North is going to be really interesting this year because all four of those teams and again, we'll see hopefully the Steelers bounce back, but all four of those teams are none of those teams are like terrible. I don't think so. You know, there will be a, a vicious battle for the Rust Belt this year. There will be. And you said something in your little monologue there, and it's time. And that's how it means it is time for crunch time for the first time on the main show during this football season. It is time to bring back what is one of our favorite rituals. And that is where we go back and forth from 10 games throughout the NFL and college football season. Here you have our records. Last week I went seven and three coach went five and five. We're sitting at 11 and nine, nine and 11 respectively coach. We got 10 games. Are you ready? Iceman. I'm so ready. Let's fire it up. All right, starting off in college football, South Carolina, the Gamecocks traveling to Athens, Georgia to face number one Georgia. This is a really weak week in college football. This is on Saturday. Georgia is a 27 and a half point favorite at home. There's no way the Gamecocks win this. The question is, does Georgia cover? I think they do. Give me the Bulldogs. 
Well, speaking of weak, Georgia's schedule to this point has been extremely weak. I do think that they are a talented football team, but this is the first legitimate opponent that they've had on the schedule. I think that South Carolina goes on the road between the hedges. They don't win, but they will cover the 27 and a half. All right, number eight, Washington travels to East Lansing, Michigan to face Michigan State and the Mel Tuckerless Spartans. This is on Saturday. Washington comes in as a 16-point favorite. Traveling from coast to coast is really tough. I think that Michigan State is is reeling a little bit. Give me Washington with that 16 points. Yeah, this is going to be ugly, I think. The Huskies are going to jump all over. Man, they're really good. This could be 26 points, and I would take the spread. But to be safe, just give me Washington at minus 16. And what is definitely the game of the weekend, number 11, Tennessee, travels to the Swamp to face the Florida Gators on Saturday. Tennessee is a six-and-a-half-point favorite as a road favorite. I don't know. I just don't think Florida's very good. Having watched them against Utah, I think Tennessee has the good. So give me the volunteers. No, I'm with you. They're going to be singing Rocky Top on Saturday night after this big win. I think that Florida is not very good this year. Obviously, there's been some indications of that already this season. Give me the volunteers minus six and a half. Colorado State and Colorado battling for the great state of Colorado, hosting number 18 Colorado. Coach Prime hoping to get that third win, his second at home. Colorado is a 22 and a half point favorite. Give me all of that. Give me the buffs. Yeah, the question's going to be, can the Buffs play defense? This is the in-state rivalry, but Colorado State is not very good. I think this is like a 9 p.m. start there locally. I think Coach Prime's going to have the guys worked into a frenzy. So give me Colorado, minus 22 and a half. Switching to the NFL, the Vikings and the Eagles on Thursday night football in Philadelphia. The Eagles coming off of a very shaky win in Foxborough are seven-point favorites. The Vikings really need a win, but I don't think they have it. Give me the Eagles. I believe this is a rematch of like maybe like the week one game last year, right? When the Vikings just, I think they won the game, if I'm not mistaken. But I, I do think the Vikings managed to keep it close, but the Eagles will win. But I'm going to take the Vikings plus seven. The Green Bay Packers coming off a big win, traveled to Atlanta and faced the Falcons who are coming off a big win. The Packers are one point favorites on the road. I kind of like the Falcons here. Give me that Falcon home field advantage. I think the Green Bay is better than a lot of people give them credit for this season. The Falcons are not terrible, but one point ain't much. So give me the Packers minus one. The Baltimore Ravens travel to Cincinnati to face the 0-1 Cincinnati Bengals on Sunday. The Bengals, surprisingly, are three-and-a-half-point favorites at home. They really need this. I think the Bengals are going to come out with a vengeance. Give me Cincinnati and Joey Burr. I think it's going to be an ugly physical game. I do think the Bengals get it done, but I see it by being by a field goal or less, so I'm going to take the Ravens plus three-and-a-half. The Seattle Seahawks looking for that first win. Travel to Detroit to face MCDC and the Sparky Detroit Lions. The Lions are six-point favorites at home. They have a really great offense. I don't think the Seahawks are actually going to be that good this year. Give me the Lions to win big. The Seahawks are coming off a tough loss this week. They're going to be hungry to get a W. Six points is a lot in the NFL. The Lions might be riding high after that win over the Chiefs. So I think the Lions win. But again, give me the Seahawks plus six. Speaking of the Chiefs, the Chiefs are looking for their first win, traveling to Jacksonville to face the Jacksonville Jaguars on Sunday. The Chiefs are three-point favorites heading into Jacksonville. I think the Jags are pretty good, but they showed a little bit of youth in that first game. I don't see the Chiefs going 0-2, so give me Mahomes and the Chiefs on the road. This is a purely emotional pick. I would love nothing more than to see the Chiefs go 0-2, and I really believe in the Jaguars, man. Some young talent. 
Uh, Doug Peterson's doing a fine job down there. So I'm going to take the Jags and give the three points. And last, the Miami Dolphins travel to Foxborough on Sunday night to face the Patriots. Coming off that big win in Los Angeles, Tua and the Dolphins are two and a half point favorites in Foxborough. It's tough to play in Foxborough. The Patriots do have a tough defense. I think they will keep it close, but give me Tua and the high-flying Dolphins offense. I'm with you, Iceman. They looked really, really good. That offense looked sharp on Sunday. So I'm going to take the Dolphins and give the two and a half. All right, that is all 10 games for crunch time. We got through them just like we always do. There is a lot of NFL action this week, but the college game is sort of lacking a little bit in my opinion, but we got it there. So we will give you the standings next week, man. I'm so happy that that is back. And I'm also so happy that it's back on the main show. It's so fun with everything we have going on. And the fact that we accidentally stumbled upon it is amazing. Yeah, I know it's wonderful, and I'm glad we were able to squeeze it in the college kickoff eve the last couple of weeks, and, and now it's back in its rightful place. You know, one thing I find that's interesting, too, college kickoff eve, you know, being our pre-show, I was very curious. I was talking to my dad about, you know, where game day might go this week, and I really thought there was a good chance they would end up at Morgantown for the, the backyard brawl, Pitt in West Virginia. And then I thought, if not there, they'd be in Gainesville for Tennessee and Florida. And so I was honestly a little surprised uh, to see they were going to Colorado. But... Um, you know, but when I think about it, it's like, hey, strike wide, the iron's hot, man. Like Colorado might be as high as they're going to be right now. Because I think after this game, uh, I believe they have Oregon and USC like back to back. Not that they couldn't win those football games, man. I'm not down Coach Prime, but you know, this might be the the peak sort of like the peak time to get in there for uh, one of these shows and take game day to Boulder. You know, I'll definitely tune in as always. But I just thought it was interesting with kind of the the poor slate of games to debate where they might end up at. And I'm curious to see if they end up in South Bend next weekend for uh Notre Dame and Ohio State. I'll be honest, though. I think they missed an opportunity because let's assume that Colorado wins this week, which they should. And even if they lose to Oregon, I think they get USC at home. And regardless of whether they're undefeated or not, that atmosphere is going to be amazing. Coach Prime is going to be peak Coach Prime. I think game day for that game would be unbelievable. It would be great to see the Colorado fans show up in mass for this big game. And I think it would actually give the team a little bit of a boost heading into that game. Because really, those next two games are how we are going to tell really where Colorado is in terms of national talent compared to all of the other high-flying and and high-talent teams out there, especially in the Pac-12. Because the Pac-12 is off to a ridiculous start knowing that it's just going to end at the end of the season. But it'll be what it'll be. College Game Day doesn't have that many things to pick from this week, so you know what they're doing? They're going with the hot hand, and they're going to Boulder. So I really can't fault them for that. I just think that they missed an opportunity because if Colorado somehow wins these next two games, they can't go back there when USC travels there because they're not going to go there two times in three weeks. And that's the only thing I would say about that is they should have picked Tennessee and Florida just to get it out of the way, SEC game, and then go there anyway, even if Colorado has two losses by then, because I think it would be an amazing atmosphere. Yeah, I don't disagree. And and I even threw out the the idea that, um, you know, like, was it last year, the year prior they went to, was it North Dakota, North Dakota, North Dakota State or something like that, you know, went to an FCS game. I thought maybe, hey, maybe this is a weekend they, they try to catch an FCS game or even like an HBCU uh, type thing, which would be neat to see them do sometime. But no, I mean, I don't blame them for doing it. You know, like you said, going with the hot hand, but I agree that, you know, especially regardless, even if they weren't, but especially if both teams were undefeated to go into that game with USC, it would be um, just a raucous environment.
Iceman stat of the week. Getting back to the old routine of doing our little weekly personal effects. And we always start with Iceman stat of the week. So, Coach, I'm sure you are familiar with the New York football giants. Oh, you mean the other football team in New York. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Apparently, there's only one team in New York, and that is the Buffalo Bills. Anyhow, this is per OptaStats on Twitter. So the Giants, in their Sunday night game, lost the game 40 to nothing or worse. They lost the sack battle 7-0 or worse. They lost the turnover battle 3-0 or worse. They had a field goal blocked and returned for a touchdown, and they threw a pick six. No other team in NFL history has done that, has done all five of those in the same season. The Giants did it in one game. That is quite the accomplishment. I mean, it's almost impressive, honestly. Uh, Sad, but also impressive because it's never been done before. So kudos to you, Giants. Way to achieve greatness in the form of absolute mediocrity. It's amazing to think that they haven't had that happen in an entire season. Like, the cumulatively, all of those things haven't happened in one season. And the NFL has been around for over 100 years. And so the Giants truly lost in his in historic fashion the other day. But as you pointed out, there's no need to panic because they may only lose 20 to nothing next week. So it won't be nearly as bad. And there's just no reason to panic quite yet. But it was an amazing achievement that I'm sure they are looking to put in the rearview mirror. Hey, Danny Dimes wakes up in the morning and pisses excellence. So I don't know why you're surprised by all these accomplishments. Coach's pick of the week for the first time in three weeks. The fact that we have had so little time to make these picks shows here because UMass was 1-0 the last time you made a pick, and your winning streak continues to be at two games. However, your record is 4-12, and so you have a chance to redeem yourself. And so can you please, please, please bless us with a pick of the week? <clears throat> hear ye, hear ye, football fans, gambling degenerates, Friends of the show. So we're going to stay in college football this weekend, and we're hoping to go for three in a row, get on a little bit of a heater here. The Bayou Bengals travel to Starkville, Mississippi, to take on the Bulldogs of Mississippi State. LSU is a nine-and-a-half-point favorite on the road. That's a lot of points for a road game in the SEC, but I think that LSU has something to prove, to dig themselves out of the hole that they left with the Florida State loss. So I have a shiver when I say this, but give me... Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers over the Mississippi State Bulldogs by, or excuse me, minus nine and a half. LSU to beat and cover against the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Now we're going to add ties back into this, but that's how this works. Coach, I think you are dead on with this because I don't think Mississippi State has it. Nine points is a lot, but I think Brian Kelly is ready to rape, pillage, and plunder down in Starkville, Mississippi. So as always, so let it be written. So let it be done. And we have reached the end, my friends. It is a lengthy episode. We had a lot to get into. Quite frankly, we left a lot on the table. However, thankfully for you, if you want to get your college football fix, Friday, 9 p.m. live on YouTube, on Facebook, on Twitch, and on Twitter, you can find College Kickoff Eve, where we will break down everything heading into week three. We have a great time doing it. 
So please make sure to check that out. But coach, do you have any parting gifts for our loyal watchers and listeners? So one thing worth worth mentioning, talking about the pick of the week real quick, um, Mississippi State, they're 2-0. Uh, they're, one of the, they're one of the only SEC teams that have kind of like held up their end of the bargain here uh, throughout some of these non-conference games. So I don't want to sleep on them too much. Now, they haven't played great opponents, Southeast, Southeast Louisiana and then Arizona last week. But, uh, you know, definitely a, a step up and competition, but I still feel confident though about my, my LSU pick. So no man excited for college kickoff Eve on Friday night, excited for another exciting weekend of college and NFL football in this wonderful fall weather that's rolling through central Illinois. Got the windows open, nice, cool, crisp breeze while I enjoy a beverage and take in all that the wonderful game of football has to offer. You really can't ask for more, can you? A little bit of administrative stuff before we get you out of here. If you want to follow us on TikTok at INC Sports is the handle to do that. We're on Facebook, search INC Sports. We're on Twitter at Iceman and Coach. You can find us there. We're on Twitch now. If you search for INC Sports, we do have a channel and it's for those live feeds that we're going to do every single Friday. We're having so much fun with it. We may end up bringing that into the fold, but you can find that wherever you find all of your other Twitches that you watch. The Matty S Media Network webpage will be back very, very soon. So please check that out. If you're listening on Apple and Spotify, don't forget to hit follow, rate, all that good stuff. And of course, if you're watching on YouTube, you want to hit like and subscribe. It's not mandatory, but it is very, very helpful. We are here to announce that we are going to be having a partnership with New Era Caps. I am wearing my Boston Red Sox New Era Cap. We are not ready to give you the details to that just yet. But just know that if you're somebody who is in the market for a New Era hat because that's your thing, you're going to be able to save a little bit of coin through the Iceman and Coach Sports Show. And that's going to be a wonderful, wonderful thing. So be on the lookout for that. Hope this finds everybody well. I hope this finds everybody safe. It is great to be back from me and from Coach. This is Iceman and Coach. Opinions and viewpoints expressed on INC Sports are those of Matt Freights, Brad Powell, and their guests, and not necessarily those of the Matty Ice Media Network. INC Sports is exclusively owned by Matt Freights and Brad Powell and is brought to you by the Matty Ice Media Network.